0: You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. We're on baby watch, so I'm preparing this message and and trying to get ready, going, is the baby going to come? Like the due date is today, right? Tomorrow, today, tomorrow, tomorrow. So the waters could break in this gathering. Do we have a midwife in the place? <clears throat> if not, anyone's ready to catch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're excited, man. Listen, I want to dive into a passage of the scripture and align us about this guy in the Bible. His name was, most of us was known as Paul. But before he was Paul, they called him Saul. And Saul was a bad man. Everyone say bad man. He was a bad man. He was a man that hated Christians. Like if he saw us today, he would hate this. He would hate what God is doing. And he would, he would beat Christians. He would try and imprison Christians. He would appeal to get these Christians murdered. He was a, a bad man. But then God, God meets Saul where he's at. On a way to a city called Damascus, and we're going to pick it up in Acts 22, verse 6 onwards. It says this About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting, he replied. My companions, they saw the light, but they did not understand the voice who was speaking to them. What should I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. And so Paul is heading to the same city that he was originally planning to go to, but now he is going there different. He's not going there with the same intention, the same mission that he had before. He encounters Jesus, and now he goes into the sea different. He goes with a desperation. Uh, My kids, my kids, when they're desperate to go somewhere, like, you can really, really, really tell. Like, really tell. Like, when they're desperate to go somewhere, they will be asking us, Hour after hour after hour. Is it time to go yet? Is it time to go yet? Is it time? Anyone else's kids like that? Like they're asking, is it time to go yet? Is it time? I want to go. I want to go. Daddy, is it time to go yet? They, before the time, they have got up. They have got dressed. They are washed. Their teeth are brushed. Their hair is done. Their clothes are on. They're waiting by the car, ready to go. Like my daughter this morning. She was up at 6.30 in the morning, ready to go to church. She just loves getting here early with daddy. I think it's because she loves the breakfast at the beginning. But that's a different story. She's ready to go. But let me tell you, when they're not desperate to go somewhere, it's a whole nother story. I'm like, wake up. Get up out of bed. Get your clothes on. Wash your face. Brush your teeth. Do your hair. Eat your breakfast. When we're about to leave, suddenly they're just hungry again. There is no desperation in them to want to go anywhere. But Paul, Paul was desperate. He was desperate to go into the sea. He was desperate to get up and go. Why? Number one, because that's what the Lord had asked. And number two, he wanted to see. You see, this encounter that he had with this light, it blinded Paul. And so we needed to be able to see. I wonder how many of us in the morning... We wake up with a desperation to hear and see the things of God. Just as desperate we are for our morning coffee or to watch that game or to go to the shops and the stores or meet our friends for brunch, I wonder if we're desperate enough in the mornings to get up and arise and go into the city like God has instructed us. To do, but Paul, Paul was desperate because Paul had an encounter with the Lord and he asked, Where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? The title of my message today is because where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? Alright, Jonathan, where done? Let's give it up, Jonathan. It's great. Einstein quotes. The safest place for a ship is on the shore, but that's not what it was made for. The safest place for a ship is on the shore, but that's not what it was made for. But we were made for so much more that we weren't made to like have this encounter with God and then just kick back, relax, put our feet up, Jesus and me, and all that kind of stuff, and it's a nice, happy, clappy life. No, 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 no. He's called us into more. He's called us to what? The scripture says to go. That's an important word. Everyone say go. Go. He's called us to go. There is more that he wants us to partake in, and there is more that he wants us to see. So as Paul goes into the city of Damascus where the Lord had instructed him to go. God is speaking to another guy called Ananias. Ananias is like a respected man, a well-to-do man, and an educated man. And God speaks to him and he says, Ananias, I need you to go, everyone say, go to the house where Saul is because I need you to give him a message for me. Ananias is like, Jesus, you crazy. What do you mean? Like Saul was notorious for beating Christians, imprisoning Christians, like just doing the worst to Christians. God, "God, are you sending me to the wolves? But God says, no, Ananias, I need you to, to go. And so Ananias goes just as the Lord had commanded him to do so. We pick it up in verse 12. It says this, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, brother Saul, receive your sight. And in that very moment, I was able to see him. This is Paul speaking. The guy who was blind after an encounter with God. God sends another person, Ananias, to go and give a message and through the power of God, God uses Ananias to get Saul's sight back. How incredible is that? That God could have done all of that by himself. Like, he didn't really need Ananias. Like, he's a, he's a miracle-working God. He could have done that all by himself, but God is in the business of using imperfect, common, everyday people like you and I. I'm sorry to call you common, you know, but... You get what I'm saying? He's in the business of inviting us into his story to show that his power is still at work in and through us in this world. How incredible is that? That today the God wants to let you know that he wants to use you. Scripture goes on and says this. He says, the God of our ancestors has what? Has chosen you. Pause. Some of you need to know in this place that you are chosen. That you are chosen. He doesn't just, there's no favorites. You are chosen. There's no imposter syndrome here. You are chosen. Where you're at right now in life, you are chosen to do a good work for him. He says that you are You're chosen to what? To know his will and to see the righteous one, hear the words from the mouth of the Lord. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and what you have heard. I love this. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. You see, I believe today that God wants us to see a few things. He wants us to see a few things. Sometimes we hear a lot of things, but he wants to wants us to see a few things. Number one, if you're taking notes, and hopefully you are, because it says that 99% of people who take notes get to heaven. So, <laughs> um, he wants to see that our life in Him has been completely transformed. Our life has been completely transformed. Just the other week uh, here in Fayetteville, we had. We had that big storm. Anyone around for that big storm or the wind? To me, it was a big storm. Like, it was crazy. Like, the winds were, were crazy. Like, it was so loud. Like, my dog was shaking. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's how crazy the winds were. Uh, our trampoline, we have this trampoline in our yard. It, like, blew 150 meters away. It, it, was, it was mad. And then we have this basketball net, which I didn't put enough sand in the base, Dumb move, Dan. Didn't put enough sand in the base that it blew over, and I had parked my car right near. Yeah, exactly. I had parked my car right near the basketball net, and it fell on my car. It's just a material thing, Dan. It's just a material thing. It fell on my car, and in the morning, <clears throat> I woke up, and it was dark still, and so I didn't see anything. I got in my car, and I drove uh, into one of our offices up in 515, and I was there, and then as I'm walking back to my car, and I'm getting into the driver's door, I see this dent on the door from the basketball rim, and I'm like, no, and then someone said to me, I, they said to me, I'm going to quote them because this is just, this is just this, disgusting. said to me, he said, it's not that bad. It's just made a dent. It really didn't change it much. (laughs) At that moment, all pastor left me. (coughs) And all gangster came to me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's that's how it was. It's just a dent. It really didn't change that much. Funny thing is, is sometimes that's how we feel about Jesus. He's just made a a dent in my life. He really didn't change that much. Like, look at Paul, Dan. Like, I'm not like Paul. Paul's life, yes, his life was really transformed. He was doing evil stuff. He was beating people. He was imprisoning people. He was tearing down the name of Jesus. He was hating his neighbors. He was angry. It's safe to say, Dan, that Paul needed needed his life to be transformed. But me, Dan, you know, I really wasn't that bad before I knew Jesus. I got good morals. I got good ethics. I've been raised in a nice family. We all smile and sing at Christmas. I'm disciplined in most areas of my life. I don't cuss. We pray every mealtime anyway. I say my please and my thank you. I dress well. I even give to a few charities. Jesus really just made a, a den in my life. And the way that we live our lives sometimes, and the way that the world sees Christians live their life is that, oh, it only looks like Jesus has made a dent in my life. It doesn't look like Jesus has transformed your life. I'm here to tell us that Jesus made more than a dent in our life, friends. Scripture tells us, Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we have been made alive in Christ. We've been made alive in Christ. Let me read it. You don't believe me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, but, I love when there's a but in the Bible. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what did he do? Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that among the coming angels he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kingdom, kindness to, his, to us in Christ. For what? It is by grace you have been saved. Not by our morals, not by our ethics, not by being birthed into a Christian family, not by any charity that we give to, nothing like that. It is only by grace. You have been saved. And through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift. It's a beautiful gift, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Come on, is anybody thankful in this place that you have been made alive in Christ? <clears throat> he's brought us from death to life in Jesus it doesn't matter how secure our life was on earth it doesn't matter how good our life was when we compare it to someone like Saul we were still dead just like Saul was dead But because of the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are now alive. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. To think that I was dead spiritually, but now spiritually I'm alive. To think that my future was not secure, but because of Jesus, my future is secure. I have a hope and a future. In the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that is something worthy to be praised. That is something worthy to be thankful for. He's brought us from death to life. Do you see it today? That He didn't just make a dent in your life, but he transformed your life. It's beautiful. The second thing is this, is that our life is not our own. Our life is not our own. One of the crazy things that I've found in moving to America is how fanatic some people are about sports. Any sports fans in the place? All right. What were we saying? Go dogs! I don't know. No? Okay, Steve's telling me no. Don't say that Dan. I'm still getting coached. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in London, there are some, like, you know, sports fans, but they're not sports fans like your sports fans. Like, your college football, your college sports... It's crazy. You got thousands and thousands and thousands of people going to watch a college game. I played rugby in college. We had four mums come and watch us play <laughs> rugby. It's different, it's fanatics. Like people got flags outside their houses, they got tattoos on their chest. It's crazy, people are fanatics about this stuff. Their life is not their own. Their life belongs to the hawks, or the falcons, or the dogs. Or the I know Alabama. I don't know. God bless you. I don't know. I'm learning. <laughs> Paul writes in two Corinthians five. He says, <clears throat> God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against Him, and He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. What's this message of reconciliation? It's the good news. And so once we got this message of reconciliation, once we got this good news, where do we go from here? So now we are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. God is in the business of using people. So we employ you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So receive his grace. And join his mission. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6 says this, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive this grace in vain. Vain means don't take the message of grace without its purpose. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. How beautiful. The God calls us into ministry with him. He doesn't just save us, but he calls us. And this is not about getting paid. This is about living saved. It's not a job to be in the ministry It's the works that comes with the salvation that we have received to go out into all the world. Our salvation wasn't to live comfortable, but it was to live cold. And that's like, uh, if the enemy could have a field day, he would be like, keep this message to yourself. All right, God's got you. Okay, cool. Keep this message to yourself. But the enemy is scared of people who live cold, who join the mission of being co-laborers because we're not just meant to gather, but we are meant to scatter. We're meant to go into our cities, into our nations, into our families, into our workplaces. Dallas Willard puts it like this says the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those by profession or culture are defined as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. We are meant to follow him it's Christ ambassadors. It's the call that's on our life. Third thing is this our mission is to proclaim. So we have got this news. We have got our title, ambassador, representative. So now what do I do with that? I'm to proclaim. I'm to proclaim. The meaning of proclaim means to announce something officially and publicly, to declare something you believe is of importance. See, Joe and I, when we ever have our kids, when we have our kids, we never find out the gender and we never reveal the name. Like it's just a surprise that we can have. Like as adults, we don't get many surprises anymore. So this is one surprise that we can get. What is it? What is it? What is it? it? And I tell you, my, my family, my friends, they're on the other side of the phone waiting in anticipation. What have you got to tell me? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? What crazy name are you going to pick? How many names is this kid going to have? Because they believe it's of importance. We believe it's of importance that they know the news that we're about to share with them. Acts 22 Paul goes on and he tells us the first thing that he did after he had this encounter with Jesus, he followed and he obeyed. He picked up his title. He got up and he got baptized. And then the scripture says that he began to proclaim the good news. He began to preach the good news. He hadn't gone to seminary yet. He hadn't been in ministry for 20 years before he does this. He hasn't sat down with everybody going, how do I do this? No, 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 no. I was lost. And then Jesus took hold of my life. And now I'm found. I've been not, not, not dent in my life. But my life has been transformed by the grace and goodness of God. I'm here to proclaim. I can't hold this to myself. It's too good. Paul tells us in Colossians. He's writing to the holy people there. He says, but but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, not hoping the world, not hoping my relationships, guys. how many Instagram followers I've got, how many likes did I get today, not hoping what's my bank account looking like today, not hoping did I get a promotion, not hoping does she like me, does he like me. All those things are great, but that's not where our hope is. This is our hope in the, in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard. That has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have what? Have become a servant to it. My life is not my own. I've heard it. I've seen it. And now I've got to live it. I have to proclaim it. I can't do anything else. Friends, our mission is to proclaim, not to withhold. But to proclaim how his word can and it will transform lives. Another quote from Dallas Willard says this We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true, when our lives demonstrate it, when we go, Oh, if this is the good news truly if this news truly changes and transforms lives, if this news truly brings people from death to life in the name of Jesus, then I'm going to live that out to the fullest. If it's true, if it's not true, then do something else. But if it's true, then proclaim it. Live a life that honors it, that loves it, that eats it, breathes it, sleeps it, dreams about it. Colossians 1.4 says this, why? Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have of all God's people. All the people of Fayetteville, all the people of Trilliff, all the people of Noonan, all the people of Tyrone, Peachtree says, Senoia, London, Europe, all over the world. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you in heaven about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You see, when we, when we truly understand the gospel in our lives of his grace and his glory, we believe it and proclaim it to a city that so desperately needs it. It becomes our life mission, man, we got to proclaim it because it will bear fruit, just as it has been. Because the power is not in us. The power is in the gospel. Our part is to share the gospel. Even Paul, as he was in prison, writes in Ephesians, and he calls on heaven, and he asks people to call on heaven on his behalf. He says, pray for me. Well, not that so I may be released from prison, but that when I open my mouth, the gospel is proclaimed. Still. Even in a really, really bad situation and circumstance for Paul. And I say that lightly, my man was probably beaten. And broken in that prison, strapped up in chains, like no food, no nothing. But the one thing he asked for is that you would pray for him, that when he opens his mouth, that he would boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus. Our prayer for you and our prayer for this church is that when we go out into our cities, into our families, into our colleges, into our workplaces, that we would open our mouths and boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus to a world that desperately needs There's this story of this woman named Charlotte. And Charlotte was going around town one day in London. And there was this novel woman called Karen. Karen's like this young mom, 21 years old, and uh, in an abusive relationship. Life's not going great for her. And she's out, and this, this woman called Charlotte sees this woman called Karen, doesn't know her. And she says, hey, um, really random, but can I tell you about Jesus? So Karen's 21-year-old mom looks at her and is like, oh, this is really random, but go ahead. So Charlotte begins to proclaim the good news of Jesus to Karen. Karen right there in that moment prays a prayer to invite Jesus into her heart to change and transform her from the inside out and declare to walk with him for the rest of her days. Now I know the story of Karen, like her life was not easy. That abusive relationship, it didn't stop. Life was not great. There was times of homelessness. There was times of no food. There was times of brokenness. But she still had this hope because she had heard and she had seen the gospel, the good news of salvation in and through her life, and she could anchor herself in that. See, I, the woman called Karen is my mom, and. All these years later, because the gospel kept getting proclaimed, I'm able to stand here and proclaim it to my children and their friends. And the beauty of that, friends, is that we are all here because someone somewhere decided to boldly open up their mouth and proclaim the gospel into our lives. The good news. They took up their position as co-laborer, as an ambassador. They said, I'm going to share this good news. And you and I, for those who have placed our faith in it, have gone from death to life in Jesus. So where do we go from here? I want to give you eight takeaways real quick. We get uncomfortable. We get comfortable in the uncomfortable like I don't know how comfortable it was for Charlotte to go up to Karen and say can I tell you about Jesus can I, can I pray with you but it wasn't about Charlotte it was about the message that Charlotte was bringing my kids are, they're so amazing when it comes to that they know this good news So when they know that someone doesn't know the good news of Jesus, they're they're like, "Um, can we pray for them? Do they know about Jesus? Like, because they know that if they don't know about Jesus, if they haven't placed their faith in him, then their their future's not secure. And my kids' hearts are like, for everyone's future to be secure. And so they ask the craziest questions sometimes. But I love it. Because I'm getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Second thing is this, is we offer up the invitation. The invitation to to know Jesus and to belong to his church. That we can do that in our wells. We can offer up the invitation because God is coming back for, for his bride. And I want people to be a part of the bride. The third thing is this, is we walk with people. We walk with people. I have this saying, if you bring them, They will come. Simple. We'll throw the invitation out, but let me pick you up. Let's go for lunch. Let's look at the Word together. Let's pray together. Let's figure that out together. We walk alongside people. Number four is this, is we demonstrate love to our world the way the Scripture encourages a love that is patient, is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does it does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always preserves. We lead by serving others. Jesus said, You want to be the greatest, then serve. Jesus was flipping it on his head in those times to serve was one of the lowest things you could do but Jesus says no 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 I've come to serve so if we want to lead we serve others we hold the door open for others where's the need send me I'll go I may not like this but let me me do this we lead by serving number six is we believe what we say and we live what we believe a life transformed is a life laid down and on fire for the things of glory of God Number seven is this, is we never stop calling on heaven. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number eight is we worship with everything. With all of our breath, our heart, our soul, with thanksgiving. Knowing that because of him, we have been made whole. We have been made alive. You know, when you know what he's done, you you can't worship half-heartedly out of tradition or obligation. When you know what he's done, when you've seen, when you have heard, the only great response is to worship wholeheartedly out of pure adoration for who he is and what he has done in your life. This gospel message is not a fairy tale. And it's not the, I don't know, lower level of Christian understanding. It is it. (laughs) It is it. It is the one thing that will change and transform your life. What Jesus has done. And we are to take hold of it. We are to identify ourselves in it and we are to proclaim it to the nations. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.